business class listeners, you're tuned in to Wisco Weekly. Friday, business class listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Wisco Weekly. I'm your host, Dennis Wisco, and I hope you had a great week. Sun's getting a little sunnier. Weather's getting a little warmer. Otter and the song The Noticer. Check OK Otter out on Spotify. Again, always trying to highlight and bring to you new artists that I'm coming across. This has a little bit of that Pearl Jam feel to it. And again, it's perfect for sunnier, warmer climate and temperature. Well, business class listeners, this is going to be a great analytical episode here for you. I hope it it will be. On today's episode, we're going to cover the AutoNation's earnings call. And I will say the AutoNation's earning call, after sitting on a good number of earnings calls so far, I've certainly found that AutoNation garners the giants of the industry. The giants. Who are the giants? Well, oftentimes, you don't really get to hear as many from the Bank of Americas, the Morgan Stanleys, the J.P. Morgan Chase, and all those other giants who are tuning in, asking questions on those earnings call. For companies like AutoNation, it obviously makes sense. And there's going to be other publicly traded companies that I'll be featuring on the show, Lithia being the next earnings call that I'll cover. And you'll hear some of these same people on that earnings call. I thought one of the things that was pretty different about this AutoNation's earnings call, and this was my first one attending or listening in, tuning into their earnings call, the the presentation portion of the earnings call was very concise and and short, which I kind of like, to be honest with you. And then most of it was comprised of Q&A, and I love that part about it. I think this kind of goes back to Mike Jackson being starting out as a dealer principal, even even before he came became a CEO. Dealers in general really do. Um, they really do love and they thrive. That's what I want to say. They thrive off interaction, and so that's exactly what happened on this earnings call. So I'm going to break this up into two particular segments. The first one is I will just simply read off for you some of the highlights that came out of the quarter one of 2021, the results of quarter one for AutoNation. And even before I get there, AutoNation's stock since the pandemic, if we go back a little over 52 weeks ago, I mean, Talk about a hockey stick of elevation, right? Their their trend over the last year has been subtle but consistent. 
and it's consistently going upward. And it is a testament to a lot of different things, but certainly that is the one trend that I saw that was different with AutoNation versus Lithia, Penske, Asbury. AutoNation just has a very consistent and a very, I, I guess you could say, reliable track record when it comes to their performance of their stock price. Okay, so on the call was Mike Jackson, CEO, and Joe Lauer, the CFO. And so here are some of the highlights that they pointed out as a result of quarter one, 2021. AutoNation has agreed to acquire 11 stores and one collision center in Hilton Head and Columbia, South Carolina and Savannah, Georgia from Peacock Automotive Group. This acquisition will represent about $380 million in annual revenue to AutoNation. AutoNation is targeting to have 130 AutoNation USA stores by the end of 2026. The AutoNation USA stores are the used car centers and operations for AutoNation, similar to your CarMaxes and your Carvanas of the world. Right now, at least in 2021, they're on track to open five new locations. I believe they're primarily in Texas and, and in and around the Houston area. In 2022, they will add 12 more. So they will be opening quite a few used car operations between now and 2026, 130. That's, that's a pretty big number. That's very aggressive. AutoNation is targeting to sell between new and pre-owned. They're targeting a million cars annually. The new vehicle retail unit sales increased 22%. This is the same store, new vehicle unit sales. That increased 22% prior to last year. Used vehicle retail unit sales, that increased 28%. New vehicle gross profit grew to $2,739 which is up 61% compared to a year ago. That's very impressive to see. Now, it's very impressive more as a general number in the industry. I don't recall a time when new vehicle gross profit was this high. Obviously, with the pandemic and the supply chains being disrupted, the chip shortage, the, this ultimately is going to tell dealers and manufacturers that they're not going to incentivize these vehicles as they once did. So new vehicle gross profit for AutoNation is up, way up. Used vehicle gross profit was $1,744, which was up $255 prior to a year ago. I believe the standard, the industry standard, according to NADA, was about $2,500 was like the average used car profit. So this is slightly below that. And we'll get to one of the reasons why it's still low for AutoNation. Some other highlights from AutoNation's earnings call was that in quarter one, 
AutoNation repurchased, it, they did a stock buyback essentially of 3.8 million shares of common stock, which totals for an aggregate purchase price of $306 million. Here's Joe Lauer to share a little bit more about that. During the first quarter, we purchased 3.8 million shares of common stock for an aggregate price of $306 million. We have approximately $892 million of remaining board authorization for share repurchases and approximately 80 million shares outstanding. So AutoNation doing the stock buyback strategy to help boost their operation overall, to help boost their share price. Stock buybacks are a tactic to provide the confidence to investors that the business is healthy, though the flip side of it is in a lot of ways this can also be a manipulation of the share price, given the fact that if the company has so much of its, you know, so much capital, so much cash on hand, why is it they're buying their stock back to benefit shareholders essentially, but there could be other ways of spending that money. But that's neither here or there. So they did buy back 3.8 million shares, which again was a aggregate purchase price of $306 million. So those are the highlights of quarter one, 2021. Now we get into some of the more juicy stuff. And that was during the Q&A. So during the Q&A, we're going to start off by hearing from Stephanie Benjamin from Truist Securities. And you're also going to hear from Don Murphy from Bank of America. Both of these individuals, these investors, shareholders, potentially, can't say that for certain, uh, ask questions with regards to the USA store operation, the used car operation for AutoNation. So Stephanie Benjamin, an analyst at Truist Securities, she wants to know a little bit more about how it is that AutoNation has been able, or they're targeting this strategy to grow and expand their USA store operation very quickly in a short amount of time. So here's more from Stephanie. I think following up on your, the question um, that was just asked, I wanted to hear a little bit more about the updated USA store um, investment. I believe, you know, expanded not only the store count, but it sounds like um, accelerated the timeline as well. So I would love to hear, you know, what happened really over the last couple of months that gave you the confidence that to accelerate the plans, was it the performance of your existing stores, the overall market? would love to get more color on, on what was behind that, this decision. Thanks. So um, the performance of the existing stores is outstanding and uh, continues to develop really well. Uh, Joe, I think the operating profit of the existing stores was $3 million for the quarter. Is that correct? Correct, exceeded three million. Exceeded three million in the quarter. Now, as far as what we just announced, we we really had already announced um, 21 and 22, and I think there's only a slight difference in in the store count in those two years. And what we really announced today was what we're building uh, from 23 through the end of 26, uh, and it's that's just uh, an expression of our confidence that we really have this 
combination figured out. Uh, and uh, not to be repetitive, but it's important, uh, the brand, one price, digital platform, operating skills, speed to market. USA stores are really a reconditioning center that we can, when we acquire vehicles, it's an acquisition point, but a reconditioning center uh, for pre-owned and for speed to market, and it's a delivery center. Uh, and we're able to build those very cost-effectively and with a very reasonable ramp to profitability. Joe, you, what would you like to add to that on the USA source? I think the only thing I would add, Mike, is just underline that is the success we've had in procuring vehicles, which is where it all starts. If you go back just a year, you know, 80% of our procurement was self-sourced. And as uh, you cited earlier in Q1, we're up to 90%. And I think the skills we've learned in procuring vehicles directly from customers really is a differentiator in the marketplace and something we think we can leverage going further, going forward. So the first voice you heard was Mike Jackson, the CEO, and he talks about three particular areas of how this USA store operation is going to um, is going to be handled. One is as a reconditioning center, two as an acquisition center, and three as a distribution center or delivery center. What do those three things mean? The reconditioning center is really, think of this as just a huge independent mechanic shop, right? They're, the whole th thinking here is that if we can just bring in a mass of used cars and turn them into one central location, have so, you know, have 10 times the amount of service base that a dealership would have, well, then we could essentially turn, turn over more cars in the service, in the servicing of these vehicles, and therefore we're, we're going to be able to do things at scale. The acquisition center is more or less similar to your CarMaxes, right? It's the idea of, hey, you can come here and we'll give you an offer for your car. You don't even have to buy a car from us and we'll issue you a check right on the spot. And those are really kind of the two big areas for automotive retailers in what has always been a successful business model for them. And certainly it's demonstrating over the last 20 years to be a very profitable aspect of the operation. I mean, those two alone generate most of the business of a dealership, the reconditioning and the acquisition. The last part is at a consumer level, what we would know and that is the delivery center. The quote-unquote delivery center is really just the fact that, hey, you see a car online or you go to the store and you pick it up and you take it home. That's the delivery center part about it. That, would, that will represent a smaller part of the operation. And so here is now Don Murphy from Bank of America, who also inquires more about this growth and expansion of their USA store operation. And then just, you know, on, on the AutoNation USA um, expansion, you know, it, it seems like you'll be at 22 stores, I think, by the end of 2022, if my, my count is correct. So it'll be, you know, 27 per year uh, for the next, you know, four years after that. Um, that's a heavy pace. I mean, I'm sure on the capital front, you know, on the inventory front, I'm confident you guys could pull it off. But human capital is, is always a question, right? So, I mean, how do you, how do you ramp up those GMs? Um, of those stores and, and staffs of those stores. That's a, that's a lot of hiring um, with people that are, you know, tasked with 
you know, a lot of, you know, expensive inventory. Now you're spot on. This was, um, there's, there's two critical paths as far as uh, sustaining that level of growth. Um, and it's uh, both management uh, and the ability to build the stores on the right side for right locations. And we've been hard at work at that uh, for the past two years. Uh, and it's the reason why we waited to say something publicly until we were absolutely convinced that we could do it. So on, on the human capital side, we have AutoNation General Manager University, which is an internal development uh, capability that uh, general management within the company is trained and developed. High potential future general, ma general managers are identified years ahead of time and go into development programs. And the development programs has a big component around pre-owned cars. And running um, and leading a USA store is something now that's aspired to within the company. Everybody sees the success that they are. So we have a development pipeline of talent that we will promote from within to lead these stores. So here's some great insight about the potential of joining the AutoNation workforce. They have a general manager development academy, general manager in training essentially, that upon joining the corporation, they will start to put you through a program and you may be running one of these potential USA stores. And so again, they're wanting to grow to 130 stores by 2026. This is a great time to get in on the ground floor. See how they are currently right now trying to build out these USA stores. You may know some of these, you know, tactics and some of some of the different management responsibilities already. But now imagine being under a billion dollar company running these USA stores. So if you're looking for a career change, I recommend looking into AutoNation's general manager and training program. Could be very lucrative for you in the short term. We now start to pivot the conversation away from USA, the, the AutoNation USA stores, and start looking into more of what I thought to be somewhat of a turn in the conversation of this earnings call, and that was the franchise business model. Now, you've probably heard me talk about this before, the difference between the franchise business model versus franchise law. And I think that is a comparison that many, many executives, including Mike Jackson, will not distinguish between. And I think there's a lot of you know, investors and hedge fund managers that also will not make that distinction. So there was a good conversation kind of going back and forth between first starting off with Dan Murphy, sorry, Don Murphy of Bank of America. Again, you heard from him asking about the USA operation. Now you'll hear from him inquiring about the franchise business model and how essentially the dealers are, the dealers specifically with AutoNation, or I would even say as a whole, dealers in general have been doing very well as of late with the limited new car supply, which allows dealers to not have to discount these cars as much. So they're making a profit, a front end profit on new cars. 
because there's a limited supply of new cars, then there's, you know, there's still a very high demand of cars in general. So then people are looking to use vehicles. And so dealers are profitable there too. So then this essentially goes to this idea of, well, manufacturers, you always wanted dealers to pump out so many new cars. But yet here's a great case study where there's limited limited new car supply. And yet from the dealer level all the way up to the manufacturer level, the operation is very profitable and very successful. So here's Don Murphy from Bank of America asking Mike Jackson about this. Just wanted to follow up real quickly on that um, your comment that you made about at the automakers. I mean, what the dealer body, including AutoNation, is doing is miraculous, right, with the, the level of inventories um, being so low. I mean, you know, selling 16.7 in the first quarter in the industry at large, um, you know, mostly retail, not a lot of fleet. So just curious, I mean, do you really think that they, I mean, is there a discussion that you're having and that they're having to finally understand this balance? Because they're making a whole lot more money too, right? It's not just you. Um, they they are too. I mean, it, it, are there rumblings of that, or, or is it just still TV? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I've been having this conversation for 30 plus years from my days of running Mercedes to my days here at AutoNation. And I think for the first time ever, I can see a lively, constructive um, conversation about this issue. I mean, in the past, it was always theoretical. And I would never wish for this pandemic. Uh, it's a horrific, horrible uh, thing that we're going through. But if you ever wanted a case study of what the world looks like if you did it different, uh, this past year and this moment and all of this year will be it. And the list of benefits, uh, both at the manufacturer, supplier, and retail uh, level with a little adjustment here and there is considerable and it's long. So retail and, – and on top of that, a big part of that is um, trade-in values for consumers is excellent. That's one of the ways this situation uh, is working for everyone, from the consumer through the manufacturer. So, look, it's it's force majeure at the moment because the, the chips simply aren't there, and they're not going to be there in any meaningful way for some time compared to the demand. Uh, but I think, John, at the end of the day, um, there could be a new way forward. So the word that Mike is not using here, but it's, it's essentially a way to describe this new business model of a lower new vehicle supply and dealers demonstrating that they are able to sell these new cars at a higher profitable price point, that they're able to turn these new vehicles and still within a same amount of time, you know, days, days in inventory. This is essentially what dealers have always been griping about for, for years, for decades, and that's the stair-step program. If you go back to the episode where I featured Rhett Reichert, who was a past NADA chairman, this is something that he talked about in very detail and, and, and with great passion of how automakers continue to put undue pressure on dealers and hence the consumer when it comes to this 
flip-flopping this unknown of what new vehicle pricing should be. Whenever there is a stair-step program that is in place, it constantly changes the goals of the dealer and therefore what is what was once proposed as a deal to a customer one weekend could change the following weekend because the incentive has changed from the manufacturer. The manufacturer wants the dealer to sell volume. And so this is exactly what Mike is gleefully talking about here when he says that, you know, these conversations, there's finally a constructive discussion about how there actually could be a way forward between automakers and dealers in maintaining a lower new vehicle uh, in producing less vehicles so as to make dealers more profitable, automakers more profitable. And yet you'll still have the balance of all these used cars that are in circulation. And so that kind of goes back to why AutoNation is investing so much money and capital into growing their used car operation, in which that's going to be a heavily contested space. CarMax is definitely, arguably, the behemoth, the elephant in the room when it comes to the used car operation. And only, you know, primarily because they're the ones that really changed the culture when it came to one price. And that's exactly what's happening here. You're seeing AutoNation, as as well as many other, be it corporate-owned dealerships or family-owned dealerships, that are moving to this one-price model. Well, guess what's going to happen when you have this limited new vehicle production and you have you don't have a whole lot of new you know when when consumers when demand for these new vehicles are so great that consumers are are willing to pay the extra money and get closer essentially to paying MSRP well we just might find ourselves in the situation where cars are no longer going to be negotiable I mean, right? They're not going to be negotiable on the u. They're not negotiable on the used car side, although there's an asterisk on that. There's an asterisk on that. Used cars are always somewhat negotiable. You just know how. You just need to know all the pressure points. What are those pressure points? Oh, maybe I'll do an episode on those pressure points. To give you an example, the conditioning of the car. Well, if you know, of course, a dealer is going to build in profit on that car based on the condition. But when you see the vehicle and if it doesn't meet the condition, well, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of negotiating room there for you. All right. So there's a little bit of a tip for you. But ultimately, this whole idea of the stair-step program could finally be tweaked so that there's not so much, there's essentially not this pressure from automakers now to sell bulk new cars anymore. So this will be an interesting develop development with this chip shortage if because the chip shortage at least for the foreseeable year will be an issue. So it'll be interesting to see what happens come next year and the year after that if the production of these of new vehicles reverts back to the pace it was 
pre-pandemic. So then now we turn to Adam Jonas. Adam Jonas is the head of global auto and shared mobility research for Morgan Stanley. And again, we continue to talk about the franchise business model, but even specifically, we get more into franchise law. So here's Adam Jonas. Thanks, everybody. Um, hey, Mike, I'd like to ask you long-term questions because you are you just got such an unbelievable experience and uh, we all value your views. Um, so Volvo is trying to go direct to consumer with their EVs, right, Mike? I'm sure you, you've mm-hmm. been following that. Why, in your opinion, would they want to do that? Can you see the motivation from their perspective? And, you know, you think they could be successful or should they just – are they are they nuts? That's my first question. Yeah, to be polite, um, yeah, they're nuts. Thank you, Adam, for allowing me to say that. <laughs> and I, I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to have uh, kick the beehive and end up uh, not that different than where, from where they are today for very rational, uh, uh, appropriate reasons. And others who talk about this selling direct, uh, and we've experienced with other manufacturers, when, when, the, when the moment of truth uh, finally arrives, um, they end up with a, what is basically a reservation listing order bank, which you can't even specify your in detail your vehicle with the manufacturer, and it gets turned over to the dealer and the retailer uh, to take over, but they sort of established a reservation. Reservation is the best word to describe what some of these selling direct things are. Now, of course, you have the Tesla model, which is absolutely a sell direct model, and you have other electric vehicle startups that are talking about it. I think the Achilles heel in in that model is that you do not put in a service infrastructure. So the franchise system, in order to get a franchise, you have to invest in the facilities that you are going to care for the units that are operation in the marketplace. So if you're a startup, you don't need that on day one, but ultimately you need it. And I think it's uh, an Achilles heel and very expensive and, di- and difficult to build subsequently. But, it's, but if you're a startup, it's your decision to go to market however you wish. But I think the, I think the franchise model uh, – is the best for the manufacturer, for the consumer, and as a retailer, uh, if you're good at the business, uh, it can be a very uh, rewarding return. So I think it's viable, sustainable, and um, you know, my and I was once one once a manufacturer on the manufacturer side. I mean, mm-hmm. you sit in the you sit in these meeting rooms and you dream all this stuff up. You throw it against the wall and see what sticks. I don't think this is going to stick. It, it is really their decision uh, how they want to go to market. And it's their decision, their responsibility, it's their capital, and you've never seen AutoNation protest that in any state or get involved in it. Now, um, where state franchise laws have a certain relevance and merit is when a manufacturer comes to us and says, okay, here's the deal build this exclusive facility. Here's the key word, exclusive facility for us in this given market, and we're giving you a given territory in return for that exclusive investment. Well, uh, I'm going to eject if you make that deal with me and you put another one uh, uh, down the road for me a week later. 
Um, now, if you're not asking me to be exclusive, if you let me do what I want as a retailer, which is I'm going to be build one great big mega facility delivery center and put everything in it under one roof, then I don't need franchise walls to, to uh, deal with that issue. But as long as you're asking for exclusivity, there has to be some protection on this exclusive investment that, that's been made. And, and, and there, franchise walls have relevance. So this is exactly the constant battle, and perhaps this is the new battle now. Maybe the stair-step program has finally been solved, and now we can actually get back to addressing franchise law, because that is really what always will limit the franchise business model. Volvo, looking to make this transition of going direct to consumer, is going to be an interesting one for everyone to watch, because this effectively could elevate franchise law to the level of, of the Supreme Court where we may see finally changes within franchise law. And the idea too that you know maybe AutoNation hasn't specifically been you know a you know they've never thwarted franchise law or thwarted automakers from wanting to go direct to consumer. Well, Presuming, which is a safe presumption, AutoNation is part of the National Automobile Dealers Association, NEDA, the national lobbyist group for dealers, as well as you have all your state dealer associations that lobby for dealers. Well, in my home state of California, I do know that the California New Car Dealers Association lobbied against Volvo to ensure that the Volvo subscription program was not going to exist. And therefore, they were able to work with the DMV and basically ban Volvo from implementing their subscription service. Now, the argument that everyone will make on the reason why the Volvo subscription service didn't work was because there wasn't a market for it. Well, hard to say that when all of a sudden they get abolished from doing business in the state, right? You do have automakers such as Tesla and other new ones coming up such as Rivian that are going into this direct-to-consumer route. And the idea that these manufacturers would not be able to set up their own service facility, I think is absurd. I think they can do it if they wanted to. I think they're stupid to do it because the reality is, is that there is this great infrastructure already built that dealers through decades and decades have perfected. And maybe it does take a shrinking down of the entire system. If it is a matter of new car production being limited, if it's, if it's a matter of more of these publicly traded automotive companies like your auto nations absorbing most of the market share. Although we do start to get to the point where, you know, this space becomes an, an oligarchy, but the restricting of, of automakers wanting to go direct to consumer is something that I think we need to take a harder look at and to see if it's viable. And again, perhaps this is the trade-off, you know, again, if you go back to that episode I did with Rhett Reichert, the one thing that I had asked him in which I would actually continue to love to ask this question to folks like Mike Jackson and other thought leaders out there 
is if you had to choose between removing the stair step program or, and, and the trade-off would be remove the stair step program and automakers go direct to consumer. How would you vote on that? As a matter of fact, you should ask that question of any dealer principal, any automotive executive out there. If there was the opportunity to remove the stair step program altogether, but in the process of removing it, you allowed automakers to go direct to consumer, would those dealer principals allow it? It's a very interesting question. I did not get a straight answer from Mr. Reichert. So anyhow, this is the AutoNation's earnings call. Coming up, I'll be discussing the Lithia earnings call as well as Tesla's earnings call will be coming up. And then one of uh, a prior guest of the show will be joining me on that particular episode as he is well-versed on Tesla history. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Wisco Weekly. As we end every episode, cheers, prost, chaim, kipis, nastravi, salut, kampai, mabruk, kutsims, gambe, yamas, nastrovie, vo, salute, and saudi to the customer experience. Wisco Weekly is providing this information for educational purposes only. We are not providing legal, accounting, or financial advisory services, and this is not a solicitation or recommendation to buy or sell any stocks, options, or other financial instruments or investments. Examples that address specific assets, stocks, options or other financial instrument transactions are for illustrative purposes only and may not represent specific trades or transactions that we have conducted. In fact, we may use examples that are different or the opposite of transactions we have conducted or positions we hold. This site and any information or training therein is also not intended as a solicitation for any future relationship, business or otherwise between the members or participants and the moderators. No express or implied warranties are being made with respect to these services and products. All investing and trading in the securities market involves risk. Any decisions to place trades in the financial markets, including trading in stock or options or other financial instruments, is a personal decision that should only be made after thorough research, including a personal risk and financial assessment, and the engagement of professional assistance to the extent you believe necessary.